You are listening to the DFJ Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series, brought to you weekly by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program. You can find podcasts and videos of these lectures online at ecorner.stanford.edu. I have the distinct pleasure of introducing Alon Cohen of Howes. I just learned that some people call it Who's, <laughs> but it is Howes. Uh, he's president and co-founder, uh, as you may already know, and you may already know that it is disrupting the home remodeling business. I mean, in a huge way. Just, I hope he'll share some of the, uh, the numbers with us. It is remarkable what's going on with this company, which is just down the street here in Palo Alto. Um, he and his wife, are, Adi, uh, are the co-founders of Howes, and they bootstrapped it. Um, and I hope we'll hear all about that. But now they are funded by big-time venture capitalists, and things are going super well. He used to work at eBay before that as one of the uh, director of engineering. And going way back, just like many of you, he was a student. And that was in a f place far away, maybe 12 time zones, maybe 11, something like that at, in Tel Aviv. He got a, a computer science degree and an MBA from Tel Aviv University. So without further ado, let's welcome Alon. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Thank you for having me here. Um, it's, it's a great honor. Um, in fact, I went on the website and looked at the list of people that were speaking here. And wow, it's amazing. Actually, I mean, you guys should just give a check to everybody that comes in here. You'll have the best growth fund in the world. <laughs> so I want to talk to you um, about making complicated things simple. Because I've been trying, I'm sure like you as well, to figure out what makes a company successful. And I've done that in different phases in my life. And, you know, you look at things like what background people came from. You know, did they go to Ivy School, universities, et cetera. It's hard to find one thing that kind of defines um, somebody that will be successful as an entrepreneur. Um, and the one thing that I saw that was common, though, between everybody is that they took something that was very complex, <laughs> that was complicated, and made it much simpler. And that's part of what I'm going to share with you uh, today. Before I do that, um, how many of you have seen the last lecture? OK, a lot of you. For those of you who haven't, highly recommend it. Um, very strong uh, you know, piece. And the theme, the main theme there right, is um, that basically you spend your life trying to achieve your childhood dreams. right? Um, and that's kind of how it started uh, for me as well. So uh, this is second grade. Um, and I had a friend, and we were into electronic kits. Um, so what we did is just try to make a bunch of alarm systems and amplifiers and things like that. Or at least we were thinking we were doing that. In, in practice, it wasn't really working that great. Um, but as we were doing that and spending a lot of time doing it, we talked about how awesome would it be to create a product. We started designing it, actually. Uh, create an electronics product that we will then go and sell. And my friend just came back actually from, uh, from the US where he spent a couple of years. And he was telling me that after we do that, we will be sitting on top of a skyscraper in Manhattan. And we will be sipping cocktails and having a lot of fun. Um, that was second grade. I didn't, have, didn't know much about uh, you know, cocktails um, and had no idea where Manhattan was. 
but it really sounded good. <laughs> so I figured out that's something I want to do someday. I want to create a product and, and start a company. Um, but that was just, you know, kids' dreams, right? Fifth grade is when, you know, a lot of things changed in my life. Um, the first thing is that I got introduced to programming. I went to this class, and we used this computer that I'm sure a lot of you are not familiar with. Um, it's called the ZX81. It had one kilobyte of memory. Um, and the biggest challenge there was how do you write something useful without running out of memory, of course. Um, and so, you know, I, I did that, and that kind of started my, um, my, my love for computers. Uh, but also something else happened uh, in fifth grade. Uh, I had this teacher. She took me and a couple of my friends, and she had us help uh, a few kids in the class that needed help with their, uh, with their homework and with just you know, learning. Um, and so we went to their houses. I had specifically like one child that was really not doing very well. Um, and I went to his house a couple times a week and helped him with things from math to grammar, etc. And so one day we had this grammar test, and it was uh, really a challenging one. A lot of people didn't do very well. But the guy I was, um, I was um, you know, helping, he got an A+. And that was an amazing moment. I mean, it felt just great. Uh, it felt better than, than like being successful yourself, right? Um, and later on, I went on and had a few other experiences uh, teaching other people, teaching classes as well. Um, and... That's one of the things that I highly recommend um, to, to everybody. Uh, first, it's a great introduction to management. So a lot of things that are very similar between teaching and, and mentoring people um, and, and managing. Um, and the other reason that's especially important for people who are doing startups or want to do startups is that you have to learn how to take a very complicated concept and make it really simple, right? Especially if you want everybody to understand it. That's exactly like creating a product, a new product, that you need to make sure that you take a complicated problem and you make it really simple so that everybody understands. So moving on to high school, um, yeah, there's uh, this small insurance uh, company that um, the owner there uh, heard that I was doing programming and he wanted me to come in the uh, summer vacation, come and help uh, them build this uh, software that will automate their business. And so I did that over the, the summer. It was, you know, for a kid, it was a, you know, great money. And, um, and it was a lot of fun, too. Um, actually, the thing that was the most fun is when, you know, once the software was in place and the people in the office started using it, they started, every time I came there, they started thanking me. And I didn't do anything, you know, new or extra every time I came there, right? It was still the same software that, that I built before. Um, but they started thanking me for, you know, this is the software they been, they've been working with uh, all the time. And that is one of the pleasures of, of building a product. And actually, that's the same thing that keeps us running today at House. We have, um, you know, there's a lot of difficult moments when you run a company. A lot of moments where you feel like, you know, everything is against you. Nothing is working. Everything is going to fail. Um, and those moments, I go to the App Store to look at our reviews. Uh, we're lucky enough to have, uh, you know, five-star average reviews, 200,000 reviews, so there's plenty to choose from. And, and you look at that, and it gives you the sense that you're actually helping somebody. Because making money at the end of the day is nice. You can look at the, kind of the bottom line, how much money the company is making, etc. It doesn't really give you that sort of gratification than people that actually say something nice in their review, and, and they thank you for what you've done. 
Um, in fact, my favorite review, not my wife's, you'll see in a, sec in a second why, uh, but my favorite review is somebody that wrote that um, if House was a man, I would marry him. Uh, <laughs> so I read that one at one of the company meetings and I spent that night on the couch. Um, but, uh, so this is where you guys are, um, and this is the university I went to. Um, and I was in this uh, program that uh, was really lucky to be in this program that uh, paid for my tuition and living expenses and stuff like that. Um, but I learned a big lesson there. Um, after a year and a half, I got a, uh, I got a mail, and it said that I'm getting kicked out of the program. Um, and what happened is that I, you know, I, was, I was an okay student. I did my, my job. Um, but I didn't really do enough, to be honest, right? I mean, the whole idea there was that you're supposed to do extremely well and, and really get the best grades and take extra curriculum, et cetera, and I didn't do that. I was lazy. Um, and so I got kicked out, and I had to start working while I was um, at school, uh, including, by the way, working as a, as a teacher, which was uh, kind of fun. So I learned from that. But the biggest thing I learned is that it's not enough to be, you know, to be talented in something. You actually have to work very hard. Um, and that's a lot. I see a lot of startups that, that they don't get that. That's kind of a big piece, right? I mean, it's not just about you know, being able to do something. It's about being able to work through it night and day. And it is hard. So it's, it's something that is very important to keep in mind. And that's something that cannot be simplified, by the way, unfortunately. So I want to talk about how you select your partners. Let's say you decide to do a, a startup. Um, so I've had this uh, idea for a, for a startup in, I think it was 97 or something like that. And I had uh, worked with a friend of mine. Um, and uh, we worked together before. I liked him. He liked me. Everything was cool. Um, and then we wanted to run it. We went to a VC, and that VC said that, they, they are willing to invest in me, that they don't want to invest in that, uh, in that other partner. And so that thing didn't work out. So something wasn't right there, either with the partner or with the VC, but it just didn't work out, and the whole thing kind of collapsed and failed, and nothing happened. Um, and choosing partner is something that's actually very, very difficult. Um, and I failed in that many times, actually. Um, that's just one of the examples. Um, but I did get lucky once, um, and that's when I went to Thailand. I uh, went to Thailand, um, and I went on a bus similar to this one because I had to get from Bangkok to Koh Samoy, uh, which is in the south of Thailand. Uh, usually people fly, but didn't have enough money to fly, so I took the bus. It's 15 hours bus uh, direct. Um, and then uh, I went, I sat in the back of the bus, and then there was like um, my wife-to-be came uh, on, on board, and she was with two other friends, and they sat at the front of the bus. And so the bus driver comes to them and basically walk her by the hand and tells her, oh, you have to sit here next to this guy because other people are supposed to come on the bus. So she, she's doing that, right? And then we start talking for, for 15 hours. And uh, <laughs> actually, she did most of the talking. I have a hard time even talking 40 minutes straight like here. Um, but, um, but it was a lot of fun, and then we got married. Not, not in Thailand, uh, three years later. <laughs> We moved in together before that and other things. Um, and, and then I realized that maybe you know, the algorithm for getting married is better than the algorithm for finding startup partners. Um, and even though like, I know 50% don't work out, but it's still maybe better than uh, how we select partners. And if you think about it, um, you know, just dating first, right? And then moving in together, right? 
how many partners do that? Like many times people just decide, okay, we're just going to do it and we're going to share everything. And from that on, that day on, you guys are married, right? And everything that's happening with this company is kind of, that's the way it is, right? So it's, it's kind of a good idea if it's possible. I never did it, but uh, you guys should try it maybe. Um, is to, to actually date and live in together with your, not, not literally, um, with your uh, you know, future partners. Uh, but invest more in that. It's very important actually. The two, more, the two most important things that I've found in, uh, in, in you know, whether a startup is going to succeed or not is A, to pick the right people, which are the, your partners and, and the first people you hire, right? Um, and, um, and, and B is just work hard, which we, we've talked about before. So sometimes it seems like um, there, is, there are two options for people that, uh, you know, for, for students just are about to, uh, to finish their, uh, or just people in university, right? Uh, one option is you drop out of college, and by the age of 25, you become a billionaire, right? And then the other option is you finish your school, and then you go work somewhere, and then you do that for the rest of your life and forget about the startup dream, right? Um, well, it's not really like that. Um, and, you know, we met this when, when House was starting to kind of uh, get more steam. We met with a bunch of entrepreneurs, and one of them is a guy named Amos Vilnai. Um, and he has an amazing story where he started his company in his 50s, okay? So that's when he started his company. Um, and he became hugely successful. He went public. He sold his company for eventually for uh, $4.5 billion. Um, and so he really was successful, even though he started very late. So it's never too late. I mean, obviously, it's easier to do it before you have kids. Uh, Dee and I are doing it with you know, now three kids. And when we started, we had two, um, which is not easy. But there are some advantages, too. And one of those advantages is that you can actually learn on the way if you go uh, work in some other places. So I joined eBay in 2001, uh, and I've been there for, uh, for a while. Originally, what I wanted to learn is why eBay became successful, right? How come the community kind of got together and became what it is? Um, I was never able to figure that piece out. Um, so it's kind of hard, uh, really. Now, in retrospect, when I look at house, I, I kind of understand that you know, it starts with building something that's useful, and then there's just additional steps along the way. It, it happens kind of you know, day after day. It doesn't happen uh, overnight. But at the time, I was really trying to figure out what's the secret sauce? What's the magic that makes it happen, right? Um, and there really isn't, at the end of the day, a magic, right? It's just something useful and then just keep going at it, right? Um, but I did learn a bunch of other things. Um, so a few things that, that I've learned at eBay. Uh, the first one is that when you look at user flows, it's really important that you keep them really, really simple. Um, it's, you know, there's a lot of jokes about users and, and how complicated different things are for users, but the reality is that you know, when people are using your product, they don't care about your product. They care about everything that's going on in their life. And they have this little attention span for everything that's, that's going on with, with the product they're using. And so it's really important to make it really simple for them and not let them guess. Uh, and I'll give you some examples uh, later on when we talked about, when we'll talk about the product design. So that's the first thing I learned. The second thing is um, a little bit unfortunate, but I learned how to uh, let people go. Um, and that's something that is really easy to, um, you know, kind of push away, something you really don't want to deal with. You know, everybody wants to be a nice person and uh, wants to make, the, uh, you know, things work out. But the reality is that in most of those cases, it's best for the person you're letting go and for the company 
to just separate ways as soon as, possible, as, soon as you realize that there's uh, something wrong. I made the mistake of waiting too long, and it was a disaster. Um, I actually made that mistake um, not at the same level, but I, I let things go for a little bit too long, even at house uh, the first time. But since then, it become uh, kind of a little bit easier in a way. It's never easy. Uh, it's always a challenge. Uh, but many times, what your fears are, are much worse than what it really is. In most cases, the person anyway kind of realizes that it's better for them, and they were just kind of waiting for that. Um, and all the people that work um, with that person are just like, after that, they come to you and tell you, oh, why did it take so long? You know? and, and it's kind of unfortunate, but that's, that's really the, the reality of things, and it's best for everybody. So these are some of the things that are not so fun in having you know, your own company, but it's, it's something necessary. Um, and, and many times, there's just no way around it. You can interview as much as you can, as, as much as you want, but you're going to make mistakes. Um, so that was the second thing that I, uh, I learned at eBay. The third thing I learned is maybe how not to do uh, some things, right? I mean, when you work at, at a big corporation um, in a company that's public, it's, you know, things are kind of a little bit more bureaucratic. They, they have to be more checks and balances. And it really is difficult to get people to feel empowered, right? To feel like they can actually get things going. They can actually come up with ideas and work on them. And that's one of the things that I really tried at house not to get into that situation. We try to hire people that are very entrepreneurial and let them kind of run with it. Obviously, it's a lot easier in a smaller company, uh, but that's something that's, that's extremely important, is to trust the people that are with you and let them do what, uh, what they realize is the right thing to do. Um, last but not least, we had this uh, really great uh, program at eBay uh, called uh, Leadership eBay. And it's where you get a bunch of uh, people together uh, that, you know, from different places in the organization. And it's usually like small groups, five or six people. And, um, and they talk about, you, you, basically there's a, 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 like a group leader, right? Um, and you talk about things that stay within that room. That's kind of the understanding, right? And people share really big problems that they have, sometimes even personal problems. I mean, there have been even like tears in those uh, scenarios. And I shared my... Um, kind of my, my, my thing, my, my, the problem I was having. Uh, let me ask you first, how many people here were not born in the US? Okay, so like more than half, right? So, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to talk about those things, but, um, but sometimes you feel a little bit um, as an outsider. Um, in, in some situations, um, and I think for you guys it's actually a lot easier because you came here when you were, uh, when you, when you were still young and, and you go to school together, and that actually helps a lot. I came in when I was in 30, right? Um, and when I was around engineering folks, it was a lot easier because we speak engineering. Um, but when it comes to like situations where you work with a lot of business folks, um, and especially when I was not here still, for, now I'm here for 15 years, but when I was here just like for you know, a few years, um, and they talk about their um, experiences from school or sports or other things I wasn't really into. You really feel like an outsider. It's not their fault. It was kind of my fault that I was feeling that way, or at least that, that's how I thought. Um, and so I, I shared that with the group. And then one of them told me something that, that I'll never forget. And he said that you're looking at it the wrong way. You're really the American dream. That's really what, what you are, and that's how you should feel about it. You came here, and now you're part of the successful company, and you're doing so well. And that, that stayed with me, right? That, that actually helps a lot to see that sometimes the things that you imagine aren't really there, right? 
Um, so that was kind of a, a really good experience for me. So let's talk about house. So how did it all start? Uh, we bought this house in uh, not too far away from here. Um, and it's an old ranch from 1955. Um, you walk in, it was never touched. So you walk in, you turn right, there is this white kitchen, never touched. It's basically like original the way it was uh, back when it was, um, you know, when, when it was created the first time. Uh, you keep going, you're going to this bathroom. It's a neon pink bathroom, right? And I try, I'm a little bit tall, so I try to stand there and like basically I hit my wall, my, my uh, head in the, uh, in the ceiling all the time, right? So had good bones, we, we, we went with it. Um, and a couple of years later when we had a little bit more money, we wanted to remodel it, right? So we started the process. We thought it's going to be a lot of fun, right? We all walked around furniture uh, companies, furniture stores, right, and, and you know liked all the vibe there, etc. Uh, we thought it's going to be a lot of fun, and we started. And we were looking for a professional, for an architect that had experience modernizing ranch homes. And you look at the internet, and it's like you get to this weird website. It's kind of loading really slow. It has flash, and there was somebody that thought they'll, they'll do something really cool with it, so you have to wait for 30 seconds until the animation starts. And you're trying to figure out like what's going on there, and you can't really find out what's, like, where are the professionals that I need, right? Uh, and eventually we went with somebody that our friend recommended, um, and it actually didn't turn out that well. So we had to, after we did all the plans, we have to um, uh, basically delete them and start all over again. Um, and later on, when we talked to other people, they told us they had the same experience. Um, and then we, they sent us to the uh, bookstore, Borders, when it was still in downtown University, right, to look at books and magazines, right, and get ideas. So we would go there and buy a bunch of books and magazines and go page by page and try to figure out, you know, what is it that we both like. Um, and that was a very inefficient process. And we're like, you know, this 21st century, we do everything online, travel is online, why isn't this industry online? Um, and then we went and talked to our friends, and they had the same problems, right? They're just other people in the neighborhood. Um, and so, you know, figure there's got to be a better way to do this. And this is how House got uh, started. So it really started as a fun project that we, um, that uh, this is actually the first uh, version of the website that I, uh, as you can see, designed. Um, and not a great designer, um, but, um, but actually the first designer that I worked with later on told me that for an engineer, it's not too bad. Uh, <laughs> so, but the first thing he did is del deleted, got rid of the uh, black background. Um, so you can actually read the text. Um, and so, um, but it was a really fun project. I just did it over, you know, the weekends, um, and Adi started working with the community after it was, it was there. The development piece was, part, was fun because, you know, I was like managing group at eBay. I didn't really have been doing coding for, for at least a few years, and this was kind of back to basics, right? Back to actually contributing something and doing something that, that moves the needle, right? Um, and making all the decisions is fun, right? You don't have to go through a bunch of, you know, approvals, et cetera, to, to get something going. Uh, so that was great. And then Adi was working with the homeowners, with uh, the architects, and it started in the Bay Area, right? Um, and we started having, like, a small community there. But then what happened next was really amazing because homeowners started telling other homeowners and professionals started telling other professionals, as, as well as the other way around, right? Professionals were telling homeowners, et cetera. So it started spreading, and we started getting people signing up from New York, from L.A., 
uh, from Chicago, etc. Um, and we started opening metro areas for them. I don't know if you can see here, but there was an option to browse by metro. We just started with like San Francisco, and then we added up as we got more people asking us to add more, uh, more areas, as well as more professional types, from architects to go to interior designers, to landscapers, to contractors, etc., as well as a bunch of them that we never knew even existed. Like there's a different kitchen designer, there's a different bathroom designer, it's different than a regular interior designer. So it's, it's pretty, you know, it's, it's a very involved industry. Um, and what happened one day is that we had a friend of ours, like one of the parents from the kids' school, um, she came over to our house and told us, all excited, that her sister in Oregon just heard about, um, uh, heard about this amazing website that helps you design your home, um, and uh, she should check it out. And she was like, you kidding me? I was like one of the first you know, people on the site. I know the, the people who, who started it. Um, and we thought, you know, that, that's really awesome. And maybe there's something here that's, you know, that's bigger, right? Um, and at that time, we already started having like several hundreds of thousands of, you know, people on the site every month and, and several thousands of professionals. Um, so we started talking to some other entrepreneurs and learn what, um, you know, what we should be doing, right? And they gave us some really good advice. Um, like one of them said that, um, don't enter if what you want is to exit, right? Um, and that, that's really true, and it, it rang really well with us because we started it as a fun project. We liked it, right? And, and it was solving our own need. And so, you know, we weren't really in this for, uh, for the exit. And that's a much better way to get into things, much more healthy. Because if you're looking for the exit, you're not going to get it. Um, maybe, I don't know, there could be some businesses where, where it works, but at least our experience has been that's a much healthier way to get into it and do something that you're really passionate about. So, new beginning. So, I never done scary things like this, um, and so taking risk is, is something that's, that's hard, right? I mean, you're kind of giving up your full-time job and, and you have to, uh, you know, go into this new exciting uh, thing, but, um, but it was a lot of fun. Um, and obviously don't regret uh, doing it. Um, had some uh, trouble explaining it to my mom, but um, <laughs> it kind of worked out. And then the, the best thing about it was that I was doing it together with, with my wife, um, uh, with Adi, and you know, it's, it's just this partnership where you really have the same interest. You don't have to second guess your partner. Uh, you realize that's not for everybody. I've heard that from many people. They, I could never do this with my wife uh, kind of thing. Um, but, but it really helps when you both have the same interests and you're both looking in the same way. At the same time, we were very complementary. We were each coming at it from a very different uh, perspective with different skill sets, uh, et cetera. So it's always fun, of course, when you're doing it with somebody that, that you like. Raising money. So... How do you simplify raising money, right? There's tons of books on that and lectures and everything, right? And it's a complicated thing, so it seems, right? And it is complicated. Um, so there's one simple way I realized is you do one company that's successful, and then it's easy to raise the, you know, the next, the next uh, money for the next company. Uh, but that doesn't work if you don't have that first company. So that was ruled out. What's the definition of success? Yeah, I don't know. That's a great question. Um, it's when the VCs are chasing you after that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, that doesn't work, right? So what do you do? So for us, it was basically us bootstrapping it solved a lot of the problem. And it's not for everybody, but it definitely is a very viable way to make things work. Because what happens is that you come to investors 
where you have something that's already there. It's already has been proven, right? People are using it. And you've shown that you can, you and your founder, co-founders, right? We're doing it on your own with very little budget. That's really what investors are looking for, right? That's an indication that, that you guys can actually make it happen, right? And it made our life a lot easier. So the first investor that we found, uh, his name is Ornzev, and um, he's, a, he's a well-known uh, kind of uh, angel investor here in the Valley. Um, and he had a bunch of successes before, and we really liked him because he was very much pro-founder. Um, so we didn't feel like you know, he was trying to, um, you know, to, to get a better deal or something like that. He was really trying to help us. And in fact, to this day, he's you know, usually uh, helpful on a variety of different things and really just become, uh, became a friend. Uh, and then a few months later, uh, Oren uh, kind of talked to us about, you know, maybe we should uh, get a VC uh, to join. And we were, you know, not so crazy about, uh, you know, getting more investors, but we agreed to just, you know, kind of have coffee with a few. And things went re really quickly, really fast. Uh, we worked with uh, Sequoia. They were great. And uh, Alfred Lynch on our board. He was previously at Zappos. Um, and, um, and he's just become part of the family. So that's been really a positive experience for us, but it was made a lot more, a lot easier because of the fact that we bootstrapped uh, the company. So um, building the team. So these are our first two employees. They're still uh, with the company. They started working out of our own house. Uh, this is our first engineer, Ophir, and, and Sheila, who's our editor. Um, but really, the first few people you hire are critical. Um, because you know, you've probably heard it a million times that A players bring A players. It's really the way it is. Um, and we got really lucky. I heard a bunch of people, actually a bunch of them out of uh, Stanford, um, that are you know, just really smart, really capable, really nice people. Um, and that's kind of what you're looking for when you're starting out, because then they bring their friends. And then people that come to interview, they see who you already have, right? And they want to come work with those folks, right? And, the other thing is that they actually help a lot with setting the culture. They actually have the responsibility. They, they helped with the culture just as Adi and I did. Uh, they set the culture. We have a family culture. Um, you know, there's like things that are symbolic, like celebrating uh, birthdays every week and, uh, and having our house slippers so that you feel at home um, and having rooms in the office that are after rooms in the house. But really, the things that make the most difference is just having nice people that everybody kind of enjoys and feels like they can just be themselves and they don't have to play games. Uh, so that's, I cannot, you cannot underestimate how, how important that was, uh, at, at least for us, it was. Uh, hiring is another thing that's kind of um, very hard to do. It's one of those things that's very complicated, and you cannot simplify it. Adi and I interview every person that joins the company. It used to be both of us. Now it's one of us interview every person that joins the company. And that really helps maintain the culture that, uh, that we have, um, and, and that's really important. Um, and, and you learn a lot from, uh, from interviews, actually. Um, I actually learned more from interviews of people we didn't uh, accept than people that we did. Um, actually, the best idea comes from those interviews of people that you eventually don't join the company. Somehow it happens that way. I don't know why. Um, but uh, you know, it's, it's really a good thing to do. When to monetize. Um, so for us, we've uh, started with um, just building, growing the, the company. We decided not to monetize in the first uh, year or two. 
um, and that turned out to be a good, a good decision uh, for us. Investors helped us a lot with that uh, decision. Um, and so we started monetizing a little bit later on when we had uh, IKEA and Lowe's and others approach us. Um, and that gave us the time to, to build a company. So if you have that, uh, that's, that's a really great luxury to have. Today we have three revenue channels doing very well. We're doing uh, commerce. We're doing, we have subscription uh, for professionals as well as uh, brand advertising. Um, and, you know, just the pro subscription channel it has over 200 people in Orange County that are uh, managing that, uh, that channel. So it's beca- it become really big, but that's because we've done it in the right time when the community was already big and, and, and very strong. Heating walls. Um, so that's, that happens a lot. Um, so there's tons of moments where you're just, like, so frustrated. Things are not working out. Um, we had a lot of those moments. Um, and so it's really easy to give up. You know, that's what happens with a lot of startups. People give up, and we were probably close to it a few times. Um, but there's a few things that, you know, just a few of those stories that kind of help us keep it together. So one of them, this is from the last lecture, where um, he talks about how the walls are there for the other people um, so that they don't reach the goal before you do, right? That's, that's how you think about it. Um, so, so that's, that's a, a very uh, strong one. The second one is, how many of you know the story about the two frogs? Just a few. Okay. So two frogs jumped into a, a, a milk jar, and um, they start drowning, right? So they start jumping and jumping, and then one of them gives up, and they just drown and die. Um, and then the other frog keeps jumping through the night, and the milk turns into butter, and then they're able to jump outside of the jar, and they, they stay alive, right? So we always, I, I was telling I did this story, and then she was telling it, like we were telling it to the entire company, and whenever we, had those, we have those difficult moments, that's what we kind of remind ourselves is you just have to keep jumping. Eventually, it will work out. The third one is this. I have this uh, page bookmarked on my, uh, on my browser, and every time I had a difficult moment, I was reading it. It's from a German VC, He's actually kind of calling it as it is and saying how founders are not necessarily really the nicest people to uh, kind of be around with, but what they're best at is moving walls and getting things done when others give up, right? So whenever I had a difficult moment, I look at this and say, you know what, then go ahead and quit. You'll never make it anyway. I'm not going to do that, right? We're just going to keep going. We'll find a way. So these have been very helpful, at least to me. Um, Product design. So... Product design is very important. Obviously, for us, we're a visual platform. Um, we've, um, um, you know, we have our, these uh, apps and the website. And now, one of the mistakes we've done that we haven't hired uh, designers early enough. Um, and so, we worked with an outsourced designer for a while. Um, and really, that's one of the things you want to do is, if design is a core part of your product, you want to get those folks. Uh, to be full-time as soon as possible. Today we have an amazing design team, and that's really a huge uh, benefit. Um, the other thing is you want to be very involved in the design process. Um, still, designers, um, you know, for example, our designers are mostly in their uh, 20s, and so they can do things like you know, buttons that have just icons on them but you know, without like, text next to it, but that doesn't work for everybody. You know? uh, maybe you know, people in the Bay Area that are remodeling, you'll have a lot of 20-something, right, that have been successful in some startup, and so they're now building their home. But most of the country, it's like people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, right? So when you have this button, you kind of need to have a caption next to it so that people actually understand uh, what it does. 
so things like that is where you want to be really involved uh, in the process. And that's to this day, I'm very involved in you know, everything that's going on. Many times you cannot be involved in everything, of course, but many times you know, I would get involved in things like moving things to pixel around or, or things like that. So this is the last slide. Um, and it's like a question that many times people don't really ask. Um, is, is it worth it, you know? Um, and, and it's not obvious, right? Today it's easy to look at it and, and you know, we've, uh, we've had um, great success. We have, you know, 25 million people on the, on the platform every month. There's, you know, thousands of, hundreds of thousands of professionals, et cetera. But it was a lot of hard work um, throughout, right? And so I think one of the questions that I, I was asked before is, does it, you know, what would you tell yourself, um, you know, when, when you were young or before you, you started house? And the truth is that I wouldn't tell anything because if I told it the way it is, probably wouldn't do it. You know, it's like sometimes it's just better to jump in and, and not think too hard about too much about, you know, what's going to happen and just, you know, jump to the cold water. So uh, that's it. And I want to uh, open up to questions. What's that? Okay, what was under the icon? If you click your house, uh -huh. what should happen there? Um, so when you click on your house, you, you get to see basically your, your own profile. You can design it there? Sorry? You can design your own house there. Uh, you don't design your own house, no, but you can uh, come up with ideas for it. Yeah. So, uh, you mentioned you feel sometimes like an outsider. Do you feel that was an advantage for you? Feeling that way, seeing the things that way? No, I, I don't see it like that anymore. But at least at the time, that was, um, that was what, what was going on, yeah. <coughs> Other questions? I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. So, uh, can oh. you tell us a little bit about the culture at the company and what you do to reinforce Sure. Um, so in terms of the culture, um, that's one of the things that are extremely important to us. Um, at the end of the day, it's really about the people. Um, so as much as we can do a lot of things, right, we, we do a lot of things, right? We, every week we celebrate birthdays. We have people's pictures on the wall, um, like family pictures on the wall, right? Um, we do um, a lot of other fun events, etc. But really, it's all about the people that, that you hire. That's eventually what's really setting your culture, right? If you hire the right people, and that's why we're interviewing every person that joins, right? If you hire the right people, and they're just you know, getting into this um, culture where everybody feels good with each other and everybody's having fun, then it just happens by itself. So it's really, I think, most of the credit goes to the team who's creating the culture more than anything else. Yeah, go ahead. So uh, you mentioned that while, during your childhood, you did have this vision of starting a product or a company someday. Yeah. But while you were working for eBay for nine years, and yeah. you had some CEO experience before that, were you thinking, I'm probably going to try something again? Or were you like, this is my life now, and let's see what happens? What was your going on in your mind that time? 
Yeah, I, I was thinking about it, and it's easy, very easy, of course, to get used to. Uh, you know, once you're in a big company that's, that's successful, uh, it's, it's just easy to uh, stay around. So it, it, I stayed around for longer, and, and it was also fun, right? I mean, I, I enjoyed a lot uh, of it, and, and I had great friends there, and we've, we were doing some interesting things. Um, but yes, I did have this thought that sometimes it will happen. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that in the first two years, House didn't think of the monetization model, but was it hard to actually convince like, people to work with you when your company don't have a monetization model at the start? So like, would employees actually feel, you know, why should I like, work for a company that doesn't have a revenue model yet? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So I'll just repeat the question, right? So when we didn't have a monetization model in place yet, um, how did we convince people to, uh, to join the company? Um, I think the first people um, were, um, first of all, some of them we've known. Um, so that helped a lot, of course, to establish trust. Um, and we did talk about the plans to monetize, right? Um, and so that helped. Uh, but definitely in the beginning, it wasn't easy. Like in the first few months, at least until Sequoia, once Sequoia uh, came on board, it'll be, it was easier to explain to people that hey, if Sequoia kind of is invested in that, it's definitely uh, something that's worth doing. Uh, but before that, it wasn't easy at all. So the first few hires were extremely, extremely challenging, definitely. And not just because of that reason, also because you know, we didn't prove ourselves yet. Um, although we could talk about the fact that the site was there, there were hundreds of thousands of people on it, we could talk about the potential, et cetera. So, so that did help. Yeah? The, the way you explained it, it sounded like you just put up the website and, and users kind of suddenly magically appeared. Is there something specifically that you can attribute to raising a lot of attention to your website or bringing a lot of attention to your website? <laughs> I think the main thing is that the need was there, right? People were having these problems just like we were having those problems. So they were just happy to have something that solves their, their problem, right? The other thing that helped us a lot is that the professionals, the architects, the designers, the contractors, they used House as a tool, right? So they were going and telling their customers, you know what, why don't you first collect some ideas instead of trying to kind of explain to us what you want? Because some people say modern and they actually mean traditional, right? It's really hard to figure this out. And so for them, it has made their life a lot easier. In fact, we have a lot of testimonials from professionals that are saying that instead of a nine-month project, it became like a three-month project just because it's helped so much with explaining what you want. Yeah. With working with your wife, how do you stop from bringing work problems home with you? Uh, say it again. How do you how do you create the work home separation? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, we have uh, three kids, uh, 12, 8, and 1. Um, and so one was obviously um, conceived while we were at the house. Um, so we, we kind of insist on making it more complicated. Um, and, um, and, and it's not easy. There is no like slam dunk answer. Um, there's a lot of things we're trying to do. Like you put, try to put some limits, although you cannot realistically not talk about work at home. It's just too challenging, but we try to put limits, especially around the kids, right? So we try to make sure that we have our time with them that's just dedicated to them. Um, and we made a rule at some point that we're not going to work over the weekend. Because in the beginning, we were like, you know, seven days a week. Um, and we made this rule that we're not going to work over the week weekend outside than maybe a few, you know, specific hours. Um, and, and that helps a lot too. But it's never easy. 
it's never easy and, and it's just a lot of you need to talk about it and come up with ways to, to improve it. Um, and the other thing that um, we realized is that as you hire more people, there's 400 people in the company now, um, it, doesn't come any, it doesn't come any easier. Uh, so you think it would, but, but it doesn't. Um, so that's something that we're constantly working on and trying to get more help, et cetera. Good, yeah. I want to ask about the future. Uh -huh. um, if, how, how, many, how, how many time and resources do you invest in planning the next step and how to keep, keep, um, keep being innovative and su successful as you are right now? Yeah, uh, so that's a great question. So how much time do we spend on, on um, basically planning the future and, and keep being innovative, right? Um, so we've had a lot of uh, copycats in the last few years. Um, and we, we had anywhere from sites in China that copied like our entire site, including the JavaScript, including um, um, they copied the videos and they just put voiceover. Um, and so... Um, so, you know, obviously, and, and there were copycats also in the U.S., including by some larger companies. Um, and so it's always important that you keep, right, uh, investing in, in the future, right? Um, and so that's really the thing that keeps us ahead, ahead of the game. Uh, and we try to allocate, we kind of work on a portfolio strategy, right, in terms of what we invest in. And we try to allocate um, some significant amount of uh, resources to kind of building the next thing and helping solve the next, uh, the next problem. Uh, and looking at both from the needs perspective and the technology perspective. So on one end, you want to look at what problems are there in remodeling and design that we haven't solved yet. <laughs> And on the other end, we try to look at what new technologies exist. Uh, for example, around uh, images, for example. There's a lot of things we're trying to do around graphics and figuring out what's in the image and things like that. Um, what can we do around that and then figure out uh, how it will you know, work, into, work its way into the product? Yeah. I associate a lot of the success of the platform with the simplicity you mentioned, but also the tasteful content. Mm -hmm. How do you arbitrate? Good taste. Yep. Uh, good question. How how do you make sure that um, you know the content on the site is the best content uh, possible, right? Um, so it's a mix of first of all an amazing community that by definition you know all the pros that are on the site have amazing work. Um, so that has been the number one factor in all of that, um, and also a great homeowner community that helps us by their choices, both implicit and explicit. Uh, helps us figure out algorithmically what is the best content. Uh, we also have an editorial team that's helping with a bunch of different things and helping curate uh, content. So, mix of all those strategies. Yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah, I was wondering, would you say that you feel at home in the United States, and have you ever thought about getting going back to Israel? Yeah, uh, good question. Um, so uh, do I feel at home? Yes, I do now. Um, I've been here for 15 years, um, and that's a long time. Um, so I do feel at home. Uh, and we've been living in this house for, for a long time, and we've been working on it. And so it does feel like home, and Palo Alto feels like home. Um, but I do have uh, you know, a place in my heart for, uh, for Israel. My family is there. Um, you know, I love the food. I love the, uh, the beach. A lot of uh, different things there. So we go visit all the time, right? 
Um, and you know, going back is a question that I, I'm sure a lot of people here are, are thinking about, right, as well, right, at some point. Um, and um, you know, from a startup perspective, I think you know the U has has amazing um, opportunities, right, that don't really exist anywhere else in the world. I think the fact that you have so many people um, kind of around, um, you know, with, with kind of an openness towards towards innovation. Um, it, it's really amazing. It doesn't exist in, in other parts of, of the world, uh, at least from what I've seen. Uh, but I can assume that you know, for folks that are, um, you know, that can go back to countries where uh, there is a lot of opportunity, and those are larger places, Israel is a small place, right? But uh, places where there's uh, a large uh, community, um, that's something that that could be uh, interesting. That said, there's really no. Nothing that compares to, to Silicon Valley uh, in the world. Um, and coming here and, and being in Palo Alto um, has been, you know, it's been a great part in our, uh, I think, in our success. Go ahead. Why have you decided to, to cross the ocean and go to, uh, to another continent, given that I assume you still have a huge potential here in the U.S.? And uh, I have learned that you plan to expand in 15 countries. So yeah. what was your rationale behind it? Yeah. So we recently opened offices in uh, in London and Berlin and in uh, Australia and uh, Japan and, and Russia, um, and so we're expanding to Europe and, and some other parts as well. Um, the rationale is um, that there are design is something that is global, right? And actually, we found that a lot of people in the U.S. like to see international design. Uh, we've uploaded this amazing apartment that an architect in Milan. Uh, put together, and like everybody was like drooling over it, right? Um, and so there's a lot of um, appetite for that. And so we feel that by going global, we don't always, we don't only uh, add additional markets to the platform, but actually this mix of styles and ideas from all over the world is creating something that is, you know, greater than the sum of its parts. I think yeah, one more there, yeah. Uh, in what ways do you feel that your career and success as an entrepreneur has been affected by the Israeli culture in your upbringing? Um, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of people talk about Israel as a startup nation. There's a book like that, I think, too. Um, and uh, there's a lot of reasons why that may be the case, um, including you know, investment in technologies and, and a bunch of other things uh, that are cultural. But if you look at successes of, of startups, you see that it's all individual at the end of the day, right? Every startup is different. So it's hard to say that there is like one rule of why one, one would succeed and the other would not. I think it's all at the end of the day, you know, about you as, 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 a, you know, as, as a person and the opportunities you're exposed to. Um, and of course, you know, how lucky you are too. Uh, that helps. Okay. Um, so the question was, given my background as an engineer, I'm assuming, right, um, is, you know, what it, was it like to work on a design-oriented uh, project? Um, I think I learned a lot. Uh, I think there was a lot to learn. I didn't know a lot in the beginning, and I certainly made a lot of mistakes. I think I mentioned one before, right, not bringing more design on board uh, earlier on. Uh, but I also had a lot of people to learn from. We hired a bunch of people now in the design team, but also in the editorial team and other places. And we work with our community as well, right? And they have a huge part in making this successful. 
Um, and so it was definitely a huge learning experience, although I wouldn't still call myself like an expert designer in any way. You mentioned one of the hard things was learning to let people go quickly enough. So what are some of the signs you look for when making the decision, and how do you convince yourself to make the right decision? Yeah. Um, so the question is when you let somebody go, how do you make that decision? How do you know if it's the right decision or not? Um, I think every case is different, to be honest. Um, you know, sometimes it's based on um, just cultural fit. Sometimes it could be based on abilities, right, or, or performance. Um, and it's never easy. So it's really all individual decisions. Yeah. Other questions? There in the back. So given your experiences, uh, when your kids go off to college, what do you think is going to be the advice that you give to them? <laughs> uh, to listen to their dad. Uh, that would be the first advice. Um, no. Um, really just to do what they're passionate about. That's really the end of the day what it is. Um, because y you don't want to live in a life that's kind of fake, right? Uh, you want to do something you're, you're enjoying. And whether that's a startup or something else, I think it's all good as long as you're enjoying it. So that's the only advice that I have. So House is in this very interesting spot right now where it's like one of the darlings of the Silicon Valley and it's all nice and shiny and bright right now as the person who gets to see the inside of it also. Do you think we have a tendency to just paint things as success and failure? Just what insights do you have in that being at this point of time in which story? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's definitely true that when you look from the outside, you only see the successes, right? You don't see all the difficult moments. You don't see everything that's going on. Um, and, you know, that's why a lot of founders talk about this roller coaster that exists, right? Uh, so when you're in, on the inside, you know that things are not always um, as they look uh, from the outside, right? Um, that said, you know, now it's, we're in a different phase in the company, right? So before that, it was... Um, really about are we going to survive or not, right? And now it's really about, you know, are we going to be successful in this market? Are we going to be able to, you know, succeed internationally like we were successful in the U.S., right? Our new initiatives, you know, marketplace, et cetera, they're going great, but can we get it to where we want it to get, et cetera, right? So that, those are the type of discussions that, um, that, that exist right now. Uh, but it doesn't change. It's still all about, you know, working hard and, and trying to move walls. That, that aspect of it never changes. share with us one of these running against the wall situations? Yeah. Um, there's, there's certainly a lot of those uh, moments, right? Um, for example, um, the uh, hiring people is always, uh, is always something that's hard to do, especially hiring you know, engineer in this, uh, in this uh, market, as, as you guys probably know, um, is something that's hard to do, right? And, um, and sometimes it gets pretty crazy, right? And so you want to, um, you know, you look at that and, and you want to grow your team and you have more stuff to do that you know is going to create a lot of benefit for the company, but then you can only hire that fast, right? Um, and you're trying to hire people that are very, you know, very strong. Uh, so you don't want to compromise on that, right? So you have all those different things that kind of working together and it just makes it a lot harder, right? And it is frustrating that you can't move as fast as you want to move just because you can't hire uh, people fast enough. So that's just one example. There's a lot of other ones. Yeah. Other questions? 
All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Hang on for a second. You have been listening to the Draper Fisher Jurvetson Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series, brought to you weekly by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program. You can find additional podcasts and videos of these lectures online at ecorner.stanford.edu. Thank you.